Back to left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing to yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Other shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we are underway. It is uh, Tuesday, July 11th. We welcome you to this hour of Flames Talk. We're underway and feeling very conspicuous as an auction is going on here in DeWinton at the uh, Calgary Firearms Center. We are here for Brian Burke's seventh annual Targets for Kids, and we just happen to be starting this hour as the celebrity auction for the Celebrity Annie Oakley is going on. So it's the quietest time that uh, we have during the event, and here I am starting the program right on time not quite like tennis where i got kicked out i've got a little bit more self-awareness in terms of how loud i am but welcome to the program anyway flames talk underway this hour apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcast you can hear rob's voice in the background rob is auctioning off all the celebrities right now for our celebrity annie oakley which is just about ready to get going it is the seventh annual brian burke's targets for kids which in the six uh six prior incarnations has raised over one one hundred and fifty thousand dollars um for Kids Sport Calgary, and of course, all of the proceeds for this event on this Tuesday, July 11th, also going to Kids Sport Calgary and Kids Sport of Southern Alberta. So very cool. We'll get some guests on as the hour continues, and uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about what we're doing here. But again, uh, for all the information on the event and going forward for the eighth annual, obviously you don't have the uh, ability to uh, sign up for this year's event, but for all of the um, and uh, kidsportcanada.ca slash Calgary is the way to go. Kidsport.ca slash Alberta slash Calgary is the way to go. Okay, we're about to uh, hook up with our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. We'll give him a call right now, kick off the program with him. That'll be good news because then I'll talk less and people will stop listen- looking at me as strangely as they are. See, there's Adam Lowry right there. He's looking at me very strangely because why wouldn't he? I'm sitting here talking to myself as an auction is going on. Uh, our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, is brought to you by uh, our good friends at South Trail Chrysler with inventory shortages across the city is the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com We've got lots to uh, we've got lots to hit on with our buddy Frank in just a second. Lots to get to when it comes to Flames. Lots to get to when it comes to uh, the rest of the league. And let's welcome in Frank right now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com Mr. Sarah Valley, how are we on this Tuesday today? I believe this is our last conversation of the summer so it uh, it feels a little bittersweet on this tuesday yeah it does but uh i i venture to say that you are better than me with stampede and all of the festivities going on so uh jealous that i'm not there it's on my bucket list and i i have to get out there at some point to experience it yeah, we're uh, going to have to get you out here for just that because uh, I uh, I saw you in Nashville. I think that you'd have a you'd have a good time, and uh, it's very similar to Nashville when it's Stampede time in Calgary. Um, speaking of which, here we are in Calgary, and it's July 11th. Things have quieted down on the Flames front. In fact, the uh, event that we're at right now, I'm like 30 feet away from Craig Conroy, so he's taking part in a charity event. He doesn't have his phone out right now. Uh, how quiet are things around? the flames right now frank 
I think pretty quiet. I mean, at least at this point in time. I mean, the Flames are still in the process, I believe, of trying to convince Elias Lindholm uh, to stay. They haven't gotten an answer, but that also means they haven't gotten a no. And when it comes to the other players that are one year away from unrestricted free agency, I don't think there was ever really that much urgency to try and make something happen. Toffoli was a bit of a different case. He had voiced the, the trade request, seemed like he was someone that wanted to go in a different direction, and they decided to pull the trigger on that. I'm a little surprised that there wasn't more urgency on the Hannafin front because everyone knows where that's heading. But I think when you consider yeah. where Lindholm is on a much lower or lesser scale, I think Michael Backlund is in the same category, at least in the Flames' eyes. They'd like to try and find a way to convince those two players to come back um, with uh, contracts uh, beyond next season. So. They're not in a rush to do anything. I think Craig Conroy has taken back power and control of the situation. And I think what's really clear in in an understated way is that the Flames are going to do things on their terms, which I think is pretty refreshing in a summer in which a lot of players have uh, been able to extract themselves from different situations. So your sense that a lot of the offers that could be out there for some of these guys might be in the uh, underwhelming category right now? Not when it comes to Lindholm. Um, in fact, I don't think it's gotten to the point where the Flames have even entertained or entered into discussion about what that would look like. I think the interest would be hefty mm-hmm. and the package would be significant. But when it comes to other guys that have lingered out there on the market this summer, whether it's Connor Hellebuck or Mark Scheifele or, you know, pick another player, Eric Carlson, that's been on the list for a while, those guys are not really in spots where um, they've been able to drum up a real significant market. And part of that is mostly due to the contract that they're going to earn next In Carlson's case, it's due to the injury and the term remaining at a significant dollar value on his current deal. But it's it's hard. It's slow moving um, because of all the cap money that's already been spent. Any any sense on on what those offers may or may not have looked like for for Hannafin to this point? Because as you said, that's the one that we we really have a good idea as to where this thing is headed. No um, no idea to be honest, and I hadn't even gotten to the point where really got a sense of here are the three to five teams that were in the mix or that were you know, frothing at the mouth to try and get him. So I don't know where that goes from here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't go anywhere. And the Flames are in a spot where Hannafin's starting the season with the team next year. Because I also think there hasn't been any animosity or friction there. He's actually enjoyed his time in Calgary. He's just let them know that, hey, this is not a place I'm going to be re-signing long-term. And no hard feelings, but... If you need to trade me, trade me. And if not, uh, I'm comfortable coming back next season. 
Um, on the uh, on the front of Lindholm, just doubling back on that front, does the does the fact that you know they've had this offer on the table and and we've kind of heard some pretty some pretty good solid ballparks in terms of what that potential offer might look like, the fact that he's still ruminating on that, should we interpret anything into the fact that they haven't got an answer as of yet? I mean, typically, I, I would say the fact that it's dragged on for this long basically a few days short of the entirety of Craig Conroy's tenure as Flames GM to this point. Um, and there has not been an answer. Most would interpret that as, well, then you have your answer. It's a no. That said, I think it's dangerous in this case to try and interpret anything because as much as there's been rumblings out there that Lindholm won't be coming back, um, that he's interested in signing elsewhere or whatever it may be. And part of that, too, can be driven by other teams that are interested in him and are trying to drum up a market for him. The fact that he also hasn't said no is a bit of a different scenario. Like, um, I, I think that leaves some wiggle room. I think there's some curiosity about what this team looks like and who's going to be on it. Yeah and what things are like under Ryan Huska and, and a lot of different scenarios. How soon will shovels be in the ground on a new arena? I mean, there's a million factors to this um, that really will determine where this goes next. And I don't really have the answers or insight to be able to, you know, make yeah, a know. declaration yep. one way or the other because he hasn't. The, the one the one sense that I get, especially on the Hannafin front, is that they've got their price. They they clearly would like to move him, and, and if they don't have to go into next year with him on an expiring contract, they'd like to. But they also have their price, and and to go back to your prior point, they're not going to deviate from that. They're gonna they're gonna stick to their guns, and and if they have to go into the season, they will. And and I think very publicly, Craig Conroy stated a few times that he'll go into the season if he has to. Uh, in that circumstance and and you know it, it's funny like whether whether you get an extension as the acquiring team on Hannafin or not that's a really high level asset as well that you should have a high price for and be sticking to it that's the one thing that i really have a sense on right now is just they're 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 gonna stick to their guns and what they believe a Hannafin return should be and that makes sense because players of that caliber impact guys that can play you know, as a steady, steady number two in this league, um, they're valuable. And and you look at the growth in his game the last few years, um, I think he's taken significant steps. I think his value this season, particularly yep. under $5 million bucks, is really significant and important. Um, and I think also, like, what he's going to mean to a team's blue line for the next six years or whatever it might be, um, I'm not even talking term. I'm talking true impact in the NHL. Yep. It's it's going to be for a yep. while, and teams know that. The Flames know that, and I like that. You know, it, it would have been easy for Craig Conroy, you know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, when all this news was beginning to trickle out that, you know, your hair's on fire. Got to do something. Got to do this. Got to do that. Um in this case, I like that he's sort of taken a step back, assessed uh, what his priorities are, 
I think it starts with Lindholm. Yep. I think the next thing is assessing the value of Hannafin and seeing what that market looks like. And then the third thing is Backland. Mm-hmm. And given his longevity and tenure in the market, his, um, you know, basically his impact in the market as well. It's been a long time. Um, there's no need to rush and, and jump off a bridge and say, you know what, we're going to send Michael Backlund to this place because he said so far that he doesn't want to come back. I like that he's sort of just taken his time here and, and allowed things to play out. Yep. We're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He's our uh, daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. This hour is underway. So what do we make of that uh, Alex DeBrinkett trade? What uh, Now that it's been, now that we know, we know what the Senators acquired. We know the contract the Red Wings signed to bring it to. What's, uh, what's your feel on that deal between Detroit and Ottawa? Well, it's an underwhelming return for Ottawa for sure. And before we really dive into that, I want to say that I'm never going to fault a team for taking the bat off their shoulder and, and taking a swing because that's what they did a year ago when they gave up the number seven overall pick and a second and a third. Um, they knew that this circumstance for a kid from the U.S. Um, with one year left on his deal before he becomes a restricted free agent might be in a spot where he decides to use his leverage and walk. And they did it anyway. And what they got back wasn't certainly perfect. There was cents on the dollar. Um, but they they tried, and now – the double whammy for them is not only was the return underwhelming, but at the same time, you've now traded him in division and not even just in division. Cause I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's overblown. You trade him to a team that's basically jockeying in the standings for the same leap that you'd like to make, which is from rebuilding team into the Stanley cup playoffs and Detroit. You know, I still think they're, behind Ottawa in terms of where their build is. I think both of those teams are behind Buffalo. But when you look at the impact of a potential 41-goal scorer or 40-goal scorer switching hands within that same yep. group of teams, that can be a real thing. And I also think the contract for Debrinket was pretty reasonable, all things considered. So um, it hurts. There's no doubt about that for Ottawa and for Detroit. They're probably feeling pretty good that they were able to sit back and have a player that wanted to be in Detroit the whole time, you know, sort of land in their lap without having to give up all that much. Um, what What is your feel or what's your take on that contract he signed, the four-year deal he signs in Detroit? I think uh, there was a bit of a market correction. I think a lot of teams, or I think when you considered the teams that could have been in the mix to land a player like him, um, he took a step back last season. There's always been this question with DeBrinket of, is he a driver or is he an accessory piece? And I've tended to think of him more as an accessory. And part of that's, you know, just due to the situations that he's been in, you know, playing alongside Patrick Kane, the big question was, can he do that in Ottawa? Uh, Can he put up the same type of numbers? And and no, he didn't get to the same goal scoring level 
that he had previously. So I think there's a correction on that. I think there's also, um, because he's not a driver, um, you know, it sort of drags down his number a bit. And because he really picked his destination, Detroit, I believe, was able to hammer both the return and also what they were paying to bring it. It was like, hey, you really want to come here? This is the type of level that we're willing to get to on an extension and no further. So um, they were able to seize some of that um, control and leverage as much as the Brinkett had some on his own end to determine the destination. Once you really let everyone know where your destination is, well, that just helps the, the other team that, um, that is in that spot that, that is in line to get you. Well, and I believe uh, DeBrinket was number one on your trade board going into the mm-hmm. offseason or going into the draft even. About a week ago, you had him number one on your trade lo- on your trade board, so he's off the board. But uh, Connor Hellebuck, number two on your trade list. What are we hearing about Hellebuck and the, the Winnipeg Jets and where that is or is not going right now? It's not really going anywhere. It's been super quiet on the Hellebuck front. Um, not only did that potential cost of what the Hellebuck extension looks like, even for a guy who's been a Vezina finalist three times in the last six seasons, you know, that extension talk and those potential numbers scared a bunch of teams off. And more than that, now once you get to approaching mid-July, the game, the chairs remaining in the annual game of goaltending musical chairs begin to dwindle in a significant way. You know, there's really kind of only one spot left that I see as a potential fit for Hellebuck, and that's New Jersey. And even then, I have questions about cap space and their ability to make it work. But the fact that Akira Schmid is waiver exempt next season um that is one area that i think the devils are still kind of poking around and looking to potentially improve but i just i have gotten some significant pushback anytime that question has come up like the goalie of course but don't really have any room or interest in paying someone eight and a half to nine and a half million right. bucks a year to play in net Same, same, uh, same kind of story on Shifley in Winnipeg in terms of uh, somewhat, uh, you alluded to it earlier, kind of a, a soft for a guy like Shifley? Yes, um, which is surprising in some ways because he's coming off of a 42-goal season, a career year, and a cap hit of only six one two five. So you would think that as a center, the market would be pretty significant or robust. Uh, but if you're looking at the next contract, um, it's it's going to be really expensive, and I think teams want to see what does Mark Scheifele look like this year. He's a bit older um, than Lindholm, for instance. You know, what? where's his game trending? Is he going to put up another year like he had last year? He's always been someone that has a high hockey IQ, someone that takes really good care of himself, works with Adam Oates to try and find – Uh, different layers to his game but I think 
teams are kind of ready and willing to let that play out and say, instead of giving up something real significant to get Shifley on our team now, why don't we just wait until free agency next summer? Because it seems like that becomes an ever-growing mm-hmm. possibility. Right. And then two more I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Eric Carlson and Travis Konechny, both in your top ten for trade targets. Where do things stand with those two right now? The Konechny one's a lot easier to answer. I I don't think he's going anywhere, and I think at this point, unless there's a major shift or something significant happens, I'd expect him to be starting the season with the Flyers. With Carlson, though, things are up in the air, and there's a few teams that I believe are in the mix. The Carolina Hurricanes, the Pittsburgh Penguins, I would still include the Seattle Kraken there. Carlson's been given permission to talk to teams directly to try and drum up interest and potential landing spots. Um, There was a report from Rob Rossi today, which was interesting. He, He basically said that Carlson has told others that Pittsburgh is his preferred destination. But I don't get the sense, Pat, that there's been any progress in terms of trade talks between the Penguins and Sharks or the Hurricanes and Sharks. And okay. the big reason for that is the the Sharks are still looking for a significant return for Carlson. Like, more or less, the thought process of the Canes and the Pens and probably the Kraken is, with his contract remaining and term, even if you're willing to retain some 20% or whatever the number is, we're not going to give you a, a, a haul for him. We're not giving you multiple first-round picks and prospects and whatever else. And there hasn't been any indication to those teams that the Sharks are willing to move off of what's been a consistently significant ask. So I guess unless there's a shift in that, um, I'm – I'm not seeing a breakthrough here as much as Eric Carlson might want one. And, in fact, those teams are kind of perfectly comfortable to sit and wait and say, hey, are you really, you know, you really willing to start the season with Carlson? What happens if he becomes a sort of mere mortal again? What happens if he has a 60-point season instead of a 100-point year? What happens if he gets hurt again? You know, are you willing to take the risk? They're basically saying, we'll take him for nothing if you want to offload him. But other than that, we're not giving you an arm and a leg. Yeah. Uh, a few more with Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. Uh, the highest name still on your UFA board is Vlad Tarasenko. What's, uh, what's your read on where he ends up going, Frank? Don't have a real significant read. There's been lots of talk about Ottawa. Pierre Dorian acknowledging that he has talked to the Tarasenko camp. But I don't think, you know, obviously I say this and it could happen in the next five minutes. I don't get the sense that something <laughs> yeah, is imminent happening today. But um, there's been plenty of talk. And, and I think there's been some offers that have been out there that, for whatever reason, Tarasenko has been hesitant take or felt like they weren't up to what his market value is and that's been an ongoing process but 
to go back and give you the alternate view of what that Carlson or sorry, the uh, Debrinket trade might have looked like. If you now like, let's just hypothetically say if you're the Sens and you can land um, Tarasenko, you you maybe with Kubalik and Tarasenko replace the production from Debrinket and lessened your term and dollar commitment to the point where you know you might be saving yourself from yourself. Um, so yep. that's the sort of other way to look at the Sens. And what's happened here over the last few days, if they can push to get something done with Tarasenko, obviously I think he's still got lots of game left. Uh, Clearly he thinks he does too. And we'll see what he can drum up on the market. Patrick Kane and uh, Matt Dumba still unsigned as well. Is uh, Is there a sense as to how those two are playing things out right now? Kane is He's taking the long road here. He's working real hard to get back. His Instagram posts and videos have been nothing short of impressive. He seems to be ahead of schedule, but I also think he's in a spot where he can wait until November or December, whenever it might be that he's ready to come back to make a decision then. This hasn't been about money, and he's got $125 bucks that he's made already. It's about picking the best yep. fit possible, and usually by November or December, we know who the playoff teams are, or at least the teams that are going to be in the mix. So Kane can wait as long as then to make a decision and sign somewhere short-term, short money, and hopefully be one of the few success stories of this hip resurfacing surgery that he's had. Well, Frank, as we uh, start to wrap up our Tuesday hits this year, uh, Flames Talk taking a bit of a hiatus uh, until sometime in August. Uh, just as as we there's UFAs, there's that trade board that you do over daily faceoff. Uh, any anything else that we should be we should be looking for? Anything else that you've got your eye on? Any other stories we should be tracking as we head into the middle stages of July here? Yeah, I think there's a few things. Um, One, I'm going to have a story in the next few days about the salary cap and where it's heading. I don't think people have a full appreciation for the MOU and what that means. Um, Since the cap didn't increase much this year by negotiation, um, it's more or less locked in for the two seasons beyond this one. Again, subject to negotiation, but there's a formula and I'll spell out all the details, but essentially it locks the next couple of years in at 87.5 and 92 million, which is a nice jump, but not really as big of a jump as could have been had there been a negotiation this year. And right. the other story is also league related. Um, I believe we're getting closer to a culmination of this feels like more than a year long investigation into the 2018 Team Canada World Junior Team and the sexual assault. Um, That seems to be coming uh, any day now, it feels like. Um, Okay. But again, we've been thinking that that was uh, on the way for a while. So um, I do think they're getting closer. Okay. 
Frank, appreciate it all year. It's been awesome having you apart throughout the entire season once again. It's been awesome having you on board. I'm sure that we will uh, find you at some point during the summer and make sure that we uh, get the latest. But have yourself a wonderful rest of your summer, hey, and thanks for helping us out all season long once again. Thanks as always, hey. Yeah, my pleasure, Pat. It's so good to join you every Tuesday. And, um, yeah, like I said, just super jealous to not be in Calgary right now and at the Stampede. And enjoy it and uh, and hydrate and lots of flame stuff to talk about when we get back in September. There's Frank Saravalli. He is our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays, and he joins us. Brought to you by our friends at South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues on a Tuesday from the Calgary Firearms Center and the 7th Annual Brian Burke's Targets for Kids. Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you here just south of Calgary at the Calgary Firearms Center. Hello, Vicks. Patrick, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. We know that uh, the uh, if you hear shooting and you hear uh, lots of pops in the background, it's because the uh, celebrity shooting Annie Oakley final is going on behind us. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Calgary's Blue Line as we wrap up this hour because I think we know that there's a decent chance that Noah Hannafin gets traded this summer. I think we also know that there's a potential that the Flames might be willing to go into the season with some of these guys still under contract, but I still think there's a decent chance the Flames can get the return they're looking for for Hannafin uh, before the end of the summer and before next season starts. So, they need to get the right return for him. Um, they need to make sure that they don't end up losing that trade, so on and so forth. But I still think it's feasible this summer. But let's let's just say that they do end up finding a way to trade Hannafin, and let's find let's 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 talk about the or, or make the assumption that they do have a partner and and somebody's interested in taking Hannafin back. How do we feel about Calgary's defense depth, and how do we feel about them potentially not getting a NHL defenseman back in return? If all of a sudden you're just taking Hannafin, they get they get a pick, they get a prospect, but they don't bring a, an NHL D-man right now back in return. What are we talking about? How do we feel about Calgary's defense depth with Hannafin out of the equation and no one replacing him? I will start by saying that I don't necessarily expect a defenseman to come back in a deal. I could see them doing a win-now trade where they bring in a forward, try to shore up their forward depth a little bit, or they go the route of futures with picks and prospects. So that said, I'm not necessarily expecting one. Now, that's just pure speculation on my part. That has nothing to do with inside information. But then I look at the roster on the blue line without Noah Hannafin, and part of me is like, ooh, I don't know if subtracting a defenseman of his caliber without adding something back is necessarily the right way to go, even though, I again, I do believe that if you are going to move him, move him for a forward that can play now or for futures. But then on the flip side, I look at it and go, well, you're subbing in Oliver Shillington, you're taking out Noah Hannafin. Is basically one through five is, is sort of from the negotiation year, from yep. last year yep. to this year. Yep. And I didn't hate the defense last year, so am I overthinking things? Am I looking at this the wrong way? Maybe. But for me, if they can't bring back a defenseman in the deal, I look to see what's left in the unrestricted free agent market to see what I can bring in. And really, that's thinning out rapidly. 
Um, the only name that really piques my interest right now is Matt Dumba, and who knows if he's around by the time that a deal like this happens. So on the one hand, I look and I go, oh, man, one through six of this defense with Noah Hannafin is, to me, a, a top five, top seven blue line. Without him, not so much, but at the same time, I think by moving Hannafin, you can either move towards the future or shore up something up front, which I'm okay with. It kind of, I don't know if any of that makes sense to you, where I'm looking one way, I'm looking the other way, and not liking what the defense is, but at the same time, those are the moves that I think have to be made. And again, in comparison to last season, I don't think it's dramatically different. I think a lot of how I feel about the defense is going to hinge on Oliver Shillington and how quickly he can get up to speed. I agree on that front. I think when it's all said and done, you'd be taught. Well, here's here's what you'd be talking about if Hannafin's no longer in the picture. You'd be talking about Rasmus Anderson, Chris Tanev, Mackenzie Weger, as you mentioned, Oliver Shillington, Nikita Zadorov, newcomer Jordan Osterley, and Dennis Gilbert would be the guys that are are still with the group. And, and Osterley, of course, they signed in free agency. He was the the only to this point one way contract they've added. So that would be the defense depth that's what we'd be talking about you know as a group of seven i still don't mind that especially you know if shillington wasn't coming back i'd feel a whole right. lot different about yes. the situation i'm not i'm not as worried or worries maybe the wrong word i just i'm not as like conditional on well i mean is is oliver going to be okay is it oliver shillington showed us a season ago like not this past season but the season before that he's a pretty good defenseman and and he can really uh he can really up the level of an nhl team and and an nhl blue line and i just i i don't i know he only had a year off but lots of guys have years off and come back just he's still in his mid-20s we're not talking about an aging player we're not talking about a guy past his prime i've got i'm really not concerned about about the game passing Shillington by or him needing months to get back up to speed, and he's been training his tail off, as yeah, we've seen yeah. on Instagram. He'll have a full training camp and all that. So I'm not worried about it. I, I think Shillington steps right back in and is in your top four. You know, I, I don't think what, – what I don't think happens is I don't think you have the ability to get Mackenzie Weger back on the right side. I think Weger has to play the left side with Hannafin leaving because you, you need to form a top pairing. And and I think Anderson and Weger showed us last year that they could be a, a really good top pair together. So if you got Anderson and Weger with Weger playing as offside as your top pair, Tanev and Shillington again, yep. knowing how good they were two seasons ago, and then some combination of uh, Zadorov and Osterley or Zadorov and Gilbert or whatever the case may be. I, I don't, I don't think you're in bad shape. I think that you can be in a decent spot if that ends up being the way things go. Yeah, and just to break down the righties, lefties, Weger's a righty, Anderson, Tanev, righties, Zadorov, Shillington, Osterley, Gilbert are your lefties, and so I'm, I'm of the same mind as you where. I really liked what I saw to Mackenzie Weger the second half of the season, somewhere around mid-December onward. Loved him at the World Championship. Uh, he's playing his natural right side at the World Championship, but I which can I see think he, he's which he's better on. I do think so, yeah. But he can still play at a high level on his off wing, well, his offside rather. And I think your number one undisputed pairing would be Weger Anderson going in, and I have no problems rolling it back with uh, Shillington Tanev because they were a formidable duo as the three-four two seasons ago when yep. it was Zadorov Goodbranson as the 5-6 pair. And I think maybe some of the heads, like I like Gilbert um, for the most part when I saw him elevated into a higher role. I like, I, the thing is, I don't know much about uh, Osterley. I'm not going to lie. I didn't catch a lot of him in Detroit. Um, so maybe the question mark lies there for me. I think he has a shot to be the number six defenseman. Um, 
In comparison to last season, I, I mean, again, if you add Shillington and subtract Hannafin, I don't know if the gap is significant. And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I'll say it right now, I think Noah Hannafin's a better defenseman. We haven't seen Shillington in, what, 16, 17 months, somewhere yep. in there. So there's still some stuff that Shillington has to prove. Again, we've seen the training videos. He's probably skated more to this point in the offseason than anybody on the Calgary Flames blue line. I think that's probably a fair assessment. I think Craig Conroy said something similar at the tail end of development camp. So is there a dramatic difference between what we could see last year and what we might see this year? No. It's and certainly, I, it certainly helps with the drop-off, right? Like it's yes. I, I, all of a sudden, you're not going from Hannafin to nobody. You're going from Hannafin to Shillington as an addition. Now, would it be better if Shillington just rejoined the team? And Hannafin, of course, was still on the – that would be better for sure. But in this respect, at least that helps kind of um, – Ease the uh, ease the departure or ease the loss of a guy like Hannafin. If again, if if they end up trading him this summer and nothing comes back in return in terms of an NHL defenseman for right now. Well, and I think the biggest comfort you have with Shillington coming back and sort of aiding that uh, gap, as you mentioned, is I can see him slotting right back with his familiar D partner and Chris Tanev, and those two together two seasons ago as the second pair for the Calgary Flames. See, it was a breakout made, season you for you. Could have Shilton. made the argument it was their first pair at times. Yep. Like they, the way they played, who they played against, like Anderson, Hannafin, Tanev, Shillington. There was kind of one A, one B. It wasn't one two. They were they were that strong a duo together. Yeah. So when you have that coming back again, where does Shillington sort of fit in when he comes back? I'm not. Uh, at first, when we had these conversations two, three months ago, I was a little bit more concerned or I don't even know if concerned is the right word, but curious to see how quickly it would take for him to get back up to speed and whatnot, getting in game reps, getting in practice reps, so much and so forth. I think having Tanev in that spot come back, if that's indeed what uh, the coaching staff sees, I think that's a bit of a comfort for Shillington coming back. So I'm less concerned about what happens there and the timeline it'll take for him to get back. Right. So. I mean, year over year, we're not looking at drastic differences. Again, will Shillington play the 22 and a half minutes a night that Noah Hannafin did? Probably not. But at the same time, it's not as significant a drop-off in my mind, just given the styles that they play, how they can play, uh, the skating abilities of both, so on and so forth. Are you, are you con- concerned about the way Shillington comes back? In what sense? That he's not at the same level, or that he takes a significant amount of time to get back to the same. Not level. as much, not as much as I was, say, three months ago or so. And that was, you know, at that point, he had been away for, you know, the first nine months or so, of, not nine months, first seven months or so of the season. I'm less concerned about that now. It's the thing that he has going for him first and foremost is his skating ability. If you're in shape and you're on the ice, you're not necessarily going to lose that. Um, Time away as well. I don't know necessarily the injury situation around Oliver Shillington when he closed out two seasons ago, but he had a couple of those big, uh, big knocks. Um, he went to the end boards really hard. Yeah. So, I mean, having all that time off allows your body to heal substantially. And then I, I think, to be perfectly honest, some time away from the game can also be good for a mental refresh as well, where you're coming back and, and, and you're excited, you're energized, so on and so forth. So before I was I was like, ooh, is this going to be a, a two- or three-month process? Well, to be perfectly honest, when we get into camp, everybody is going to be in, would have been off for four months. So depending so on what you do there. what's the difference right. four and 16? Right. right, and now I'm, t- I mean, I'm, not, and I'm not so much concerned about development time lost with Oliver Shillington because 
um, of his games played. I mean, it was his breakout year uh, in the NHL, but I don't know where Shillington two seasons ago to what his ceiling was. Like, I think he was close to hitting that ceiling of his. So I'm not sitting here going, oh, well, if he was a 22-year-old prospect that lost a year of development time because he, you know, he ruptured his Achilles or something. I'm not necessarily as concerned him getting up to speed right. than if it was a case where he's coming back off of an, uh, you know, what could have been a debilitating injury with, you know, especially if it was a lower body incident, where his, his skating is his, his meal ticket as an NHL defenseman. So I'm less apprehensive than I was even two or three months ago about, ooh, is he going to be a question mark? Is he going to be able to bounce back? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of those scenarios where he comes in and, and it'll almost be a level playing field. Like, I, I don't really, to me, it's not that much of a difference between, you know, uh, an off-season and an off-season plus a season off. You know, like, I, I, I think that that really does even the playing field a little bit when it comes to... Um, when it when it comes back to returning to the NHL, so I I think he'll be able to step right back in and be the same high level D man that he was before. I think he'll be able to step right back in and be the guy that could play 18, 19 minutes a night. He was averaging eighteen ten in his breakout season in twenty one twenty two. So 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 I kind of start to think to myself, all right, well, Uyghur Uyghur being able to play both sides mm-hmm. is a huge benefit, no doubt about that. So that's huge for them. Uh, Having a guy like Shillington come back really helps. Uh, the Osterley signing, I'm really curious about. He's a good skater, and that's the area that, that he really thrives in, and he's got a right shot, and it gives you the ability to kind of have a, a, a rotating third pair, I guess. Maybe Osterley and Zadorov can form a third pair together. Maybe it's Zadorov and, and Gilbert who've got to play together. Maybe they go out and do sign another guy like all of a sudden, you, you start talking about them signing a guy like Matt Dumba, and Dumba is a right shot. You put Dumba and Zadorov together, you got yourself a pretty good third pair. All of a sudden, that blue line looks pretty good, and you don't have a whole lot. It kind of goes back to 21-22, where there was not a ton of separation between those three right. pairings and not a ton of separation in terms of their ice time. Uh, Goodbranson and Zadorov were playing just a little bit less than Shillington and Tanev were, who were playing just a little bit less than Anderson and Hannafin were. So, yeah. I, uh, I, I I do think that that would help. I just don't know if it's necessarily in the cards or not. No, and when you look at what's available left again, Matt Dumba, in terms of time on ice and uh, defensemen that are as is right now, unrestricted free agents, Matt Dumba played 21-16 last year. Uh, Benoit, 1920s, 24-year-old left shot defenseman at 10 points, 78 games. Then you have like names like Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, Nick Holden, Scott Harrington. So I don't know if I'm about uh, what's left over if you do make a move and, and, and trade Noah Hannafin and then look to the free agent market to, to fill a gap. I think the seven guys that we've been talking about are very likely to be the seven guys that enter training camp. I don't necessarily see something on the free agent front. And again, pure speculation on my part, but the way I see a Noah Hannafin trade shaking down is it's either a top six forward or we're talking about a futures deal. Um I think my hesitation with your, the original question of how do you feel about the the defense heading into the season minus Noah Hannafin, I just would have been so curious to see one through six of Uyghur, Anderson, Tanev, Zadorov, Shillington, and Hannafin. Because when that deal was agree. made last summer, I was like, well, how do you win championships? Goalie, defense, center. And suddenly the Calgary Flames at that time, at that time, don't roast me on the tax line at 960-960. But you had the Vesna runner-up, 
You had one through six on defense that I think could have went toe-to-toe with any other decor. And then down the yeah. middle, you had Lindholm, Kadri, Backlund. Yeah. So I would have been really curious to see how those six could have performed yeah. together as a unit. We might not get the opportunity to see that with a with an upcoming Noah Hannafin trade. But again, I might be splitting hairs somewhat when you're subtracting Noah Hannafin but adding Oliver Shillington to the core. Uh, we are underway. In fact, this hour starting to wrap up as we uh, here continue here from the Calgary Firearms Centre. We're here for the 7th Annual Brian Burke Targets for Kids, which has raised more than $150,000 for Kidsport Calgary, Kidsport Alberta, since its inception. So the 7th Annual Brian Burke's Targets for Kids. Uh, I remember when this was first proposed and Rob first brought, I, I, was, I was really curious as to, Okay, is this going to take off? Well, it is taking off, yep. and uh, we've got lots of people out here in DeWinton and lots of people who are enjoying themselves. You've got the Celebrity Annie Oakley, which is going on right now, and when they do the 8th Annual Brian Burke's Targets for Kids next summer, honestly, it is a really, really cool event to be a part of. Now, I've never been a part of it myself. I have just watched and been here and seen as it plays out. But you get your group of four together, you come out, and you, uh, under extremely safe conditions here at the Calgary Firearms Center, which is world-class, they they teach you the ropes. Uh, If you have never shot before, that's fine. If you've never shot targets before, they're going to get you totally up to speed, and then you do it. Plus, then you've got the celebrities who are here with you. You're hobnobbing with them. You have got the auction that they do, and you bet on them for the celebrity Annie Oakley. This year, Nazem Kadri is here, and Adam Lowry is is here craig conroy is here uh just, to name, few, uh, just to name a few of the celebrities um don't ever ever interrupt again with that man's name <laughs> uh, when i'm talking about I think you might still don't, be shooting don't you ever do that again chris cedarstrand has won the um has won the celebrity annie oakley like every time i've ever been here anyway if you want, want more information on the eighth annual brian burke's targets for kids next year if you want more information on this year's event or just more information on kids sport canada kids sport Calgary. Here's the website at kidsportcanada.ca slash Alberta slash Calgary. Once again, it's kidsportcanada.ca slash Alberta slash Calgary. Producers this hour, uh, back at Sportsnet 960 World Control, Garrett and Taylor. Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg and yeah, uh, everything coming at you back downtown from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Foundation contact basement systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com.